0: Father, we thank you that you are our God, our living God, that you're the God of hope and you want to speak to us today. And Father, I pray that you will speak, that you will be able to release the word into, your, into our hearts, into my heart and into the hearts of your people, because Father, you're a God who speaks to us. You're the living God who walks with us. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and for your presence with us. Amen. We're actually starting... A new series today. It's on spiritual power. So what do we mean when we talk about spiritual power? We're really talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit residing in us and by his own power and ability, producing through our lives godly characteristics, godly character traits. And we have a part to play in this too because we need to yield to God and we need to walk with God. And this is an absolutely massive subject and I wondered whereabouts to start with this. But we're looking today at the subject of hope. Hope is a very, very much underestimated, I don't hear a lot of people talk about hope, but as we look at the scriptures, it's a very, very powerful aspect of God. So what is hope? Hope is the confident expectation, confident expectation that the promises of God will be kept. It's an inner sense of security in God that rises above present circumstances. And sometimes we have to work for that. I was talking to a friend this week and she was saying, when it comes to preaching, she likes the preparation, but she doesn't like the preaching. And I was thinking, When it comes to preaching, I don't like the preparation and I don't like the preaching because you see, God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to each one of us and to try to seek God and say, God, what are you saying? It is an awesome and a terrible responsibility. And I feel the weight of that. And I think, whoa, okay, I would like to sit back there and have somebody else do the seeking God, but. Part of growing up in God is that we don't always like what God wants us to do, but we do it because we do it for God. We put God first and we put other people first. So sometimes it's not a case of, well, I would be more comfortable gardening than preparing a message, but it's a case of what does God want? What honors God and what, what honors our brothers and our sisters? It's always about reaching out. And one of the things I find with hope, there's actually an element of risk in hope. Have you ever thought about that? Hope, if we really confidently hope in God and we hope in the promises of God, we can't just sit back and just, we have to actually put feet to our hope. And we're going to look at that. Isaiah 40, verse 31, most beautiful verse. Those who hope in the Lord, what will happen to them? They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And this soaring on wings like eagles, there's a sense of buoyancy in that. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and a soar on wings like eagles. The eagle actually flies high in the sky and it locks its wings and it rides on the winds of the heavens. It rides. And God says weep can soar like that and we can look down from God's perspective onto the issues of life. The eagle looks down and he sees a mouse and he sees his prey and he can swoop down from a great height and God wants you and I to have a heavenly perspective so that we look down on the problems that we are facing and we look down at it from God's perspective and it reduces the problem right down. It's a very, very powerful thing. Jesus talked about the wells of living water, the water that springs up in, in us, the well, that overflow. And this sense of a heavenly perspective is a very important part of hope. So Christian hope, where does it come from? It comes from God and it comes out of relationship with God. Paul said in Romans 15 verse 13, he prayed this prayer, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, the God of hope. Do you know that hope is an eternal attribute of God? That God is the God of hope. And our hope, is actually anchored in eternity. So God is the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a challenge? Do you ever find that that's a challenge to overflow with hope? To overflow with hope, not to sort of sit in a little dismal box, but to overflow with hope. And we're going to look today at how we can build this into our lives, this overflowing hope, because it comes from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is within us. It comes out of his power. It's released by the life of God within us. Very, very powerful thing. So we have a Christian hope and there is also the hope of people who The the non-Christian hope that we can be tempted sometimes to slip into. And Joshua spoke this morning about we have an anchor. Our hope is an anchor and it's actually anchored into eternity. It's anchored into heaven. Hebrews 6 verse 18 to 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor. It's firm and it's secure. So it reaches right into heaven and it holds You know what an anchor does? It goes down into into the sand, a, a normal anchor, and it holds. And our anchor reaches into heaven and it holds. It's firm. It's secure. And the Bible says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. So this Christian hope, it's a very, very powerful thing. In the old days, there used to be a hymn that Ellen would probably know it, that we used to sing, and it says, "Will your anchor hold in the storms of life, when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain? Will your anchor hold and firm remain?" And as Christians, we can say, "Yes, our anchor will hold because we, as we walk with God and as we yield to God, we are, we are anchored. Our life is anchored into heaven. That is so powerful." The godless have a hope and there is we can hope in things that are ungodly. And the Bible makes a comparison about the hope of the godless. Job 8 verses 13 to 14 speaks of the fact that the hope of the godless, it perishes, just comes to nothing. What you trust in is fragile. It it, it just breaks and you don't know when it's going to break from under you. So if you break, if you trust in worldly wealth, you don't know at what point that wealth can disappear. It can disappear in an instant. You trust in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband. You don't know when they're going to go. We, we have to trust in God. And it talks about the fact that the hope of the godless, so if we're not having a godly hope, it's like a spider's web. It just tangles on, on a web like a spider's web. That's all that holds it. Have you ever walked in the morning uh, out into the trees and the spiders build a web? You walk through the web, and just walking through it breaks it. It demolishes it. It's gone. That spider's web is gone. The spider may be hanging off your nose, but the web is broken. Just like that, it's broken. And the the godless, the godless hope—it's just this fragile thing. At any time, it can go. Why? I was talking to one of my friends about reincarnation. It's a Hindu belief. Now, the reincarnation says we've had. This life and that life and another life and this life. It doesn't really matter what we do because we'll have another life. So we have all these cycles of life and people hold to this belief. But you know something? It's a lie because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You and I have this life that we are living and then we stand before the eternal God. So what are we trusting in? You see, we're like the godless. It says he holds on to the web. He leans on his web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it doesn't hold. So the hope, the things that we can hope in that belong to this world in an instant. And you and I live in a culture, in a society where things are probably even more fragile than they used to be. The monetary system, the old age pension, the Uh, Care for the sick there are so many things that they're fragile gone. They can be gone in an instant The economy could, could collapse and it could be gone. There's no substance in it But what can we lean on and josh mentioned this you and I trust in the word of god And we trust and we hope in the character of god and our hope reaches into heaven It is firm. It's secure and it holds so it doesn't matter what we face in the circumstances of life, our hope reaches into heaven. A very, very powerful thing. So we need to know two things. We need to know the Word of God. And if you're not doing the WordWise program, I urge you to start it. How can we know what the Word of God says if we don't spend time in it? If we're to have a strong hope, we need to spend time in the Word of God because the Word of God tells us who God is. What is the character of God? What are the promises of God? What does God provide for us? And to know that, we need to be in the word of God. And we also, the psalmist said, I wait for the Lord. I love this psalm. My whole being waits. So what the psalmist was doing, he's bringing the whole concentration and focus of his life onto God. And he's waiting. He's looking to God with the whole of his being. And he says, and in his word, I put my hope. It's a deliberate choice. I choose to hope in the living God. I choose to hope in the word of the living God. I choose to put my assurance in that which is anchored in heaven and that will stand. My mum, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. My mum was a pessimist and everything was bad. The whole world was bad. And when when I found out about God and that God was good, I thought, how amazing. How do I learn to cooperate with this? You know, I've been trained. Life is bad. People are bad. Everything's bad. And then you come to know God and God promises things. And God says, I will do this. And this is what I have for you. And it's like, how do I learn to think as a Christian? How do I learn to think as God thinks? Where do we actually get this buoyant hope from? One of the things that I have learned, David is from a Presbyterian church as a boy he hated it they were very proper in how they talked to God and he married me and I didn't have that sort of a background and I guess there was desperation at times in my life as I tried to talk to God about the issues I would face and sometimes David and I would pray together and I would just tell God you know honestly from my heart I'd say I just talk to God and I would tell him exactly where I was at and David would tell me later he said I was waiting for God to strike you dead because you can't talk to God like that. And I was thinking, why can't you talk to God like that? Because you know what happened when I talked to God like that? God answered me. God showed me the way out. God moved in my life and he did something. See, God's actually a very, very honest God. And yeah, it, if you're struggling with something today, the scripture we're looking at here is Jeremiah 2 verse 25. Jeremiah had a dreadful ministry. God called him to a people and he said to Jeremiah, I'm sending you to speak to these people, but they will not listen to you. Oh, what a ministry. Wouldn't you really have to struggle to encourage yourself? And one of the things God said about the Israelites, he said, you're saying it's hopeless. You are saying that I love foreign gods and I must go after them. So this is what God's saying to the people. This is what you're saying. And God was calling them on two things. One was obviously the sin of idolatry. But the other thing was these people were making excuses. They were saying, God can't fix this. God just can't fix it. No, I have to continue in my sin because God is powerless to do anything about it. And God did not like that. You see, God, whatever... The situation is God can fix it. And if you're dealing with something tonight, today, and you've been stuck in it for some time, your first step and most powerful step is to go to God and speak the truth. Talk to God about it. If those Israelites had turned to God and they said, God, we believe it is hopeless. And we, we have this love for foreign gods and we feel we must go after them. Please help us. You know what that would have been? That would have been the beginning of an honest conversation with God where God moved in on the situation. God says, come now and let's, uh, let us reason together. And if we're going to have a vibrant, overflowing, buoyant hope, we need to get to grips with some of these issues and stop making excuses for our sin. So I have something here that is really small. Ugh. Help. <laughs> I have just... What do I do? Oh, how about back? No. I tried to make it bigger. Okay. Thank you. Um, Christian hope, therefore, and this is so small, I cannot read it. Oh, I have something up the back. Christian hope is anchored. So Christian hope is (laughs) anchored. I'm so sorry. Could you please delete that bit? Christian hope is anchored in God's truth. And we have to be honest with God and obviously honest with one another might come in handy here. And when we're looking at numbers, there's a really interesting little episode which throws some light to me on on the character of God and how he deals with people. God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and he's heading them towards the promised land and he had promised them. He said, you've been slaves for 400 years. I am bringing you to this land. It's overflowing with milk and honey. Fabulous land. You're going to love it. And But in between, they've got this little bit of temporary, it was temporary inconvenience. They'd had all this yummy food they'd liked in Egypt, like cucumbers and melons and garlic and things like that. But in in the desert, they were getting this manna from God. God was giving them manna, which they cooked up. And obviously, it got very, very, very boring. Like, same thing what's for breakfast, what's for lunch, what's for dinner? Manna. It's manna again. How many ways can you you serve up manna? And the people. Instead of looking at it and saying, God has promised to us that we are going to have the promised land. This is a temporary inconvenience. We don't like it, but we're going to hang on to the promises of God. Instead of doing that, they really started rebelling against God. And it started off with a rabble and riffraff and all the rest of it. But then it says, this must have been pandemonium. The Bible says the Israelites were standing in the entrances of their tent and they were saying, we want meat, Wail, wail. They were wailing, meat, give us meat. We want meat, we want meat, we want meat. We don't want your money, give us the meat. And very difficult situation. Here's Moses, he's leading these people. And God actually, the Bible says God got angry because they were showing contempt to what God had promised them. So God's angry and Moses was troubled. And Moses turns to God and he says, basically he says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Why have you given me this people? Where can I find meat for all these people? And in temporary language, do you know what Moses said to God? He said, if I found favor in your sight, he said, this thing's going to be the ruin of me. He says, take me out the back and shoot me. That's the temporary version of what Moses said to God. So how did Moses respond to that? Oh, God, how did God respond to Moses? Because what Moses had done was he'd taken the problem and he'd gone to God. And he had a lot of emotion mixed up in that. I thought, isn't it interesting? When you look at it, God ignored the emotional component of where Moses was coming from. And he said, right, here's the solution. And God moved in to appoint other leaders. And God actually said to the people, you're going to eat meat. You're not going to eat it for one day or two days or 10 days. You're going to eat it for a month. And it's going to come out of your nostrils until it makes you sick. Okay, God was obviously quite seriously annoyed about that. So the Bible speaks about pouring out our heart to God. This whole aspect of pouring out our heart, real vibrant hope, it comes out of an honest relationship with God. It doesn't come out of covering up and putting on religious faces. It comes out of honesty before God. In Psalm 62, the psalmist was having a hard time from the people he knew. And he's saying, how long will you assault me? So Obviously, verbally, they were giving him a hard time. And he's saying, with their mouth, they bless me, but in their hearts, they're cursing me. And what did the psalmist do? He was honest about it. But then he said, find hope, O my soul, whereabouts? He says, in God alone. And then he goes on and he says, pour out your hearts to him. You know, sometimes the only place that God wants us to put him first God wants us to have this relationship with God where it's what he wants that comes first in our lives. And sometimes there are circumstances of life where God is saying, put me first. We can give more to other people when God is first in our lives than we can when we're dependent on people and not paying the attention we should pay to God. When I was a young Christian, this scripture used to really trouble me. John 10, 27, it says, my sheep... Listen to my voice, they hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. And I used to hear the people round about me who were more mature, they'd say, God spoke to me and he did this, and God spoke to me and he did something else. And I think, how, how do you know? How do you know if God's speaking to you? I didn't know anything about the voice of God. How do you know? How do these people know? Do they just make it up? Or is it like it's trumpet, you know, do 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 do, and that's God? How do you know? And I was in... um, We had our grandson down at the beach the other day and he's like a very... He's an indoor child. He's a computer child and he doesn't do outdoor activities. So we took him to the beach and we were doing sandcastles and we had this moat and it was great fun. It was actually a very, very turbulent ocean but we were helicopter grandparents. We were right there with Ethan when he went in the water. There were three lifeguards. It was all very, very safe. Anyway... I was out in the water with Ethan, and all of a sudden, he gets swept off his feet, and he's in a rip because this big wave came in, and then it came back, and here's this rip, and the child's in a rip. But this is not a problem because that's what I'm here for, okay? So I'm going to grab the child. So I go to grab him, but there was something I didn't realise. Ethan, being an indoor child, was covered from his neck all the way down to his knee and pretty much all the way to his elbow with this, it's called a sun-smart suit, and it's like oil. You try and grab, I tried to grab this child, and it's like grabbing oil, and he's going through my fingers, and the wave's pulling him, the rips pulling him, and I I can't do a thing. I can't stop it. And I'm thinking, okay, there's lifeguards, there's David. um, But I thought, if I can't stop this now it's got to stop now otherwise it's going to be very unfortunate this child is going to swallow water he's going to be scared witless and that is the best case scenario i said it has to stop now and you know what the holy spirit spoke to me and he said to me grab his right sleeve and look i can argue with god with the best of them but you have seconds in a situation like that it's like do it obey or disobey so right so i reach out to grab his sleeve how do you grab a child's sleeve when he's you're know, halfway away from you in a rip. But somehow, this is where God comes in. You do a move towards God, and God does a whole sack of moves towards you. So my, my finger ran up his arm underneath the sleeve. And my, my thumb ran up his arm. My fingers come down from above, and I gripped the fabric. And I lift it up, and the fabric holds, and here's the child hanging <laughs> from the sleeve. And so I pulled him in, and I thought, I could never have dreamed that up. And I, was, I thought, isn't that amazing? You know, as we walk with God, we go from a place where we don't... I didn't know the voice of God. Honestly, I really didn't know what it was all about. But then it comes to a place where you learn. We learn by listening to God. We learn by doing. We make mistakes. You know, sometimes God speaks to me and it's not till later. I look back and I think, God spoke there and I actually missed it. Well, God spoke there. I was too lazy. I was sitting on my bottom reading a book and I didn't want to inconvenience myself. And so you build, I'm sorry, Lord, into your life and you have a go. You take a risk. You know, sometimes you've got to step out and have a go. And this is one thing about having a vibrant hope. You see, God speaks to us, but we've got to get off our bottoms and we've got to step out and we've got to have a go, have a go for God. If God speaks to you, if God says mow a lawn for that old lady, get out and do it. Get a few friends and go and do it. You know, it's the beginning of an adventure with God when we learn to know his voice. It doesn't happen overnight. I still make mistakes. But I tell you what, when you're in a crisis and you see God move and you see God speak and you see God move into a situation that was potentially lethal and you think, I love this relationship. I have with the God of hope. So we pour out, uh, okay, that's backwards. So we turn to God. Job is an interesting man. Job was a man who God actually boasted about Job to Satan. And God was boasting about Job to Satan one day. And Satan said to an interesting thing to God. He said, you know why Job serves you? He said, he serves you well and he loves you because you have built a protection around about him. And he said to God, if you drop that protection you have around Job's life, You know what Job will do, God? He says, he will curse you to your face. And God said, I have confidence in my servant Job. So he said, you can do this to Job. And he told Satan what the limits were. He said, limits. And so here's this man of God and and the misfortunes start to fall. His livestock perish. He had his daughters and his sons were, were killed. His wife turns to him and she says, curse God and die. That's a word of encouragement, isn't it? Job's sitting there, he's broken out in these painful sores. Imagine, Ray, you would be able to identify with that. He's broken out in these painful sores and he's scraping the muck out of his sores and he's in agony. And then his friends, his friends turn to Job and they say, you know why this is happening to you, Job? You've got sin in your life. You've got sin in your life. You deal with the sin in your life and God wouldn't have to do this to you. That's definitely a bad hair day, isn't it? Really bad hair day. And poor old Job, he says, a despairing man ought to have the devotion of his friends. Oh, yeah, we all feel like that. You know, we're part of a body and we support each other. But you know what? There are times when what God does is he says, I want you to look to me. You'd be a better friend and a better family member if you look to me. And in Proverbs eighteen twenty four, it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. it's talking about Jesus, it's talking about God the Father, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And as you and I work on this aspect of friendship with God, there's a buoyant hope that rises within us because we know that the God that we trust on, he is able to bring us through. And that's what Job found. He actually said at one point, he says, I know that my redeemer will live. One of the most magnificent statements in the Old Testament about and his feet will stand upon the earth. Magnificent statement. Absolutely magnificent. And that's what Job came through to. And God gives us opportunities to practice that, by the way. Two o'clock in the morning, can you ring a friend? Well, you can ring your friend in heaven. You can talk to God. God builds into our lives opportunities and challenges where we work on our relationship with him. It's the most powerful thing. You see, one of the things that happens in life stuff happens. You're an older person, perhaps, and David and I talk about this sometimes. One of us most likely may possibly, who knows, die before the other, and the other one will be left alone. How do we deal with that? Well, we better make sure that God is our best friend. We better be prepared for these things, because who knows? There's there's times of awkwardness in life. Um, I actually wasn't going to share this but I felt that God is speaking to someone today and has a word for someone. Many years ago I was in a church situation. I worked for the pastor of the church so he was my boss. He used to be a businessman and I had friends and something happened which was too complicated. I couldn't actually understand it but my friends all got up and they said we're leaving the church and you ought to come too and I thought what do I do? You know, I didn't know much myself so I thought I better be honest with the pastor because I don't want to be a snake in the grass. So I went to him and I said, I'm I'm really not sure about all of this. I'm not sure what I should do. I'm not. Anyway, instead of sitting me down as some pastors would do and saying, well, let's talk about the issues, he, he got really angry. And he said, you have 24 hours to make up your mind whether you're staying or you're going, 24 hours. And I was a young Christian, so I went home and I thought, I don't even understand what the issues are. And I thought, if I leave with my friends, they will be kind of proud of me and they'll sort of think, yeah, okay, we're all doing this together. So it would be nice to leave with my friends. And so I've got my friends over here saying, come with us. And on this hand, I've got this angry boss. And I thought, well, he's not a pleasure to be around, is he? I couldn't work out what to do. So I said to God, I don't know what to do. And you know what God, he gave me this scripture. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4. And he said, if your boss is angry at you, and I thought, yes, big tick for that one. What is God saying to do? He says, don't quit. Don't quit. You want me to stay with this angry man when I can leave with my friends who care for me? And God said, don't quit. And he went on to say, a quiet spirit. So, Just staying calm, keeping you cool, not getting ruffled by the whole thing. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Isn't that amazing that God is so powerful? Here's this, and I I actually stayed and I never regretted it because God spoke to me about that. And I feel there's someone here today, you're struggling with this issue. You've been thinking about quitting. Not for the same reasons as I've been thinking about quitting, but you've been, you've been struggling with this concept of quitting, and God's actually saying to you, hang in there. Hang in there. Don't, don't yield to that pressure to quit. Hang in there, because God has good things to come forth from your life, and as you hang in there, you will see God uh, enrich your life. And that's a word. God, God I believe, got, got me to share that because it's for someone here today. So we need to know the shepherd's power. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of a time. He says, we were under great pressure, great pressure. And he said, it was far beyond our ability to endure. And we despaired even of life. So Paul, this is the great man of God, Paul, probably one of the greatest men in the whole of the Bible, apart from Jesus, of course. And he said, we despaired even of life. Pressure, pressure, pressure. What do we do? And he talked about feeling in their hearts the sentence of death. And Paul actually took the time to go to God and he said, What's going on here? What, why is this happening? Why are we under this enormous pressure? And God answered him and he said, You're under this pressure so that you're not going to depend on yourself, but you're going to depend on me. So where is your hope going to be? God says, I want your hope to be placed in me. And Paul actually came to the place where he said, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril. So Paul's got this history with God. God delivered us. God delivered us. God delivered us. And this is starting to be written into Paul's life. God delivered us. And then Paul said, and God will continue to deliver us. And listen to what he says. On him, we have set his, our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So Paul said, the whole history of my life with God is that he has delivered me, he will deliver me. And right now the pressure is so great that I feel it's beyond my ability to endure. But you know what Paul said? We've set our hope. We've set our hope. We're not looking at this pressure that's pulling us down. We are setting our hope on God. So we need to hang in there and not quit. Romans 5 verse 25 Paul talks about, once again, Paul, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Isn't that a daft thing? How many of you really can rejoice in your sufferings? I struggle with this. It is a challenge to me to rejoice in the sufferings of life. And the things that we suffer compared to what Paul suffered and many other people, they may actually in the big scheme of things, I look at what I go through and I think it's actually quite small. But to me, it's a big thing. And sometimes there's great things that can actually hang on how we deal with the little things in life. So Paul was talking about this and he says, why do we rejoice in our sufferings? And he said, because suffering produces Perseverance. As we suffer and we have to choose, we are hanging in here. We are hanging in here. We will not let go. We will not back off. We're hanging in here. We're going through this. And what does that produce? It produces perseverance. Perseverance. And perseverance produces proven character or experience. So it's being built into our lives that God is faithful and God is coming through for us. And the amazing thing is this what does proven character produce? Hope, overflowing hope. It springs out of coming through the challenging times. Hope is a powerful thing. And the Bible says, and hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us because God doesn't disappoint us. And hope comes from the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So whatever you and I face, it's as we walk with God and we yield to God, what springs out of our life. It's hope from the Holy Spirit. It's not something you and I have to drum up. It's the life of God within us. And you know something? If God did not give us opportunities to grow, he would rob us. And God doesn't rob us. So if you're facing a challenge today, hang in there and look to God. So how do we action hope? How do we put feet to our hope? In Numbers 13 to 14, which you will be about to read this week, it's a very interesting little scenario. So God, as I said before, God's brought the people out of Egypt. They're heading for the promised land. They're right there at the promised land in a very short period of time. So God has brought them through the desert quite quickly and they're there. So what they're going to do, they want to spy out the land. So they, they go to the tribes of Israel. There's 12 tribes. They pick a leader. So these are men of leadership caliber. They pick leaders. And there's 12 leaders from the 12 tribes and they send them into the promised land. They check it out, guys, just check it out. So the the men come back and they say, it's everything God said it would be. It's a fabulous fertile land. We've got these enormous bunches of grapes. There's milk, there's honey. But 10 of the men, 10 of the men said, there's giants in the land and we're just grasshoppers and we can't take the giants. You know, God had demonstrated all these signs and miracles to them. He had delivered these people out of Egypt. He'd done signs and wonders that they could look back and see. And they're intimidated by a bunch of giants, by a bunch of big, solid. No, it can't be done. God's brought us here, let us die in the wilderness. Absolutely impossible. God can't do this thing. It's too hard. So they're not looking to the promise of God. They're just looking at their circumstances. And you know what God said? He said, you're treating me with contempt. I gave my word to you and you choose not to take me at my word. And two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, of course, they stood up and they said, God is well able to do this thing. God gave his word to us and in through God we can go in and we can take this land because God said so. And they begged the people, they said, don't rebel against God. Don't do this. Let's believe God. Let's hope in God. Let's trust God. But the people listened to the negative reports. And so you know what happened? They spent another 40 years walking around that wilderness while every man over the age of 20 dropped dead. There must have been a lot of funerals. And Joshua and Caleb, because they wouldn't go in. And Joshua and Caleb, they watched this. Joshua and Caleb walked around this desert with them for 40 years. And at the end of 40 years... Joshua took Moses' place as the leader who was going to lead them into the promised land. And Caleb, you know what Caleb did? He came to Joshua and he said, I'm 85 years old. He said, I'm vigorous. I'm alive. I'm full of life. And God gave me a promise. God told me he would give me this portion of the land. And he said to Joshua, God is well able to do this. God can do this thing. God will bring it through. And he said to Joshua, give me this hill country. Give it to me. And Joshua said, go for it, Caleb. And Caleb went in at the age of 85 and he saw God's word fulfilled because he chose, he chose to have hope that what God had said was worthy to be believed. Joshua, that's the choice that Joshua made. And It takes risk to step out with God, you know. Sometimes it's safer just to settle back on our bottoms and just, you know, just stay out of the action. It's a risk to step out. But Joshua and Caleb, they took that risk and they saw God fulfill his word. And I tell you what, to refuse to trust God's promises, what sort of a life is that? Walk around the wilderness for 40 years until everyone's dropped dead. That's a lousy life. But for those of us who choose to trust in God, enormous wealth opens up. How, how do we actually, how can we put our feet to this a bit? We're going to do a course shortly about getting ready, how, being ready to give an answer for the faith that is in us, for the hope that's in us. If you need some help with that, that would be a really good way to put feet to your faith. And we put feet to our faith by putting God's interests first. You know, I said sometimes I'm too lazy to get up and do what God's saying. We need to get up and do what God's saying. Put God's interest before our interests and put the family of God way up there. One of the things Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, he said, Who is our hope? Who is our joy? Who is our crown? And Paul said, It's you. He put a very, very, very high value on other people. And you and I can do that too as an expression of the life of God within us. We can make sure that we are putting other people first. So what does hope do? Hope looks for the big picture. And Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. When we were out with Ethan on one occasion, Ethan and I were were trying to walk on this balance beam and we were both like a little bit wobbly, but we're giving it our best shot. And there was an ex-gymnast with her two little boys who was sharing the beams with us. And she was saying to her boys, now, boys, when you want to jump on the beam, and she's, what you do is you don't look at where your feet are landing. She said. that you look at the end of the beam. And I thought, you look at the end of the beam. So I thought, I'm going to try this. I don't want to jump on a balance beam, but I want to walk on it. So I put my eye on the end of the beam. I tried it, and it works, you know. If you put your, if you put your eyes down where the feet is, you're sort of wobbling like this. You put your eye on where you're going, And you walk nice and steady. I thought, you know, that is a real principle in God. Sometimes we're in the middle of the pain. Like our brother Ray here, day after day, he's struggling with pain issues. There are so many things that can come at us and that can hit us and that can hit us. And we are so aware of the issues. But you know what we can do? One of the ways to help us get through it is to say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. But what is the big perspective? Where does this fit? And just, just to be able to ease what we're going through. You know, the Bible says that we are pilgrims. This world is not our home. The things you and I are dealing with and facing with, it's not the end of the road. This, we, the end of the road is when we go into the glorious presence of God. And you and I know the word of God says that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Whatever you and I are in the midst of, God is working that for our good. He's working it to mature us. He's working it to show forth the life of his son. Our hope is anchored in heaven. We have this hope that is strong and it won't be moved. The Bible says, when he appears, we shall be like him. Isn't that an amazing promise? You and I are going to be like Jesus when he appears. And God wants us to be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is actually part of the life of God. It's part of our heritage as Christians. It's God's desire for us. Thank you.